Please do your own research. Nothing here is investment advice. Why should I care about Wayfair? Why should I spend a minute of my life on Wayfair? How are you going to buy your fancy chairs that are behind you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I got them on... Um, I, my, my wife bought them on... An, and No, no, actually, from... Um, from some online furniture dealer that was not Wayfair, some, I don't know, some, some actually, I wouldn't call it an online furniture dealer because that makes you think of Wayfair, made.com. It, it's actually some little niche website. Probably got it from the same factory as Wayfair. <laughs> Say more. It's actually a great question because it hits on one of the points that I found it originally interesting. I think it's somewhat potentially misunderstood because it's like, okay, who cares? It's this like online furniture retailer you know drop shipper but you know five or six years ago they they started to vertically integrate and obviously that's you know overstock and these other players don't necessarily integrate backwards into the supply chain so it was a somewhat bold move obviously obviously very expensive they spent a uh, ton of money building out 19 facilities and so it, it, it kind of ties in with this thesis or, or hypothesis that those retailers that decide to vertically integrate are really focused on providing a quality or at least attempting to provide a quality customer experience in terms of selection, price, delivery, uh, over, overall customer experience. And obviously the poster child of this is Amazon and what Amazon done, NFBA and, and, and vertically integrating you know, Wayfair have done it, I guess Carvana are looking to do it and various other these e-commerce players are trying to do it. You know, so it, it's somewhat, well, it seems somewhat misunderstood by many in terms of comparing it to other dealers or furniture furniture retailers or drop shippers. Also mainly because the, the accountants actually can be misleading because it behaves more like a marketplace rather than a retailer. It takes no inventory risk. So if you look at all the other Williams-Sonoma was other retailers, they actually stock a bunch of inventory. You know, they, they buy a stock, mark it up and shift and shift it on. Wayfair doesn't, right? So Wayfair's Wayfair's revenue reported revenue is that basically like GM is like a would be the equivalent of GMV or gross merchandise value if it was a marketplace and the gross profit would be more like the revenue. So it's it, it's confusing. So that's, I think it's somewhat misunderstood in that sense. Um but anyway, they moved. They, they basically vertically integrated to provide to control the inventory, forward position it, closer to customers, you know, and 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 what they claim at least it gives you know, faster shipping, lower unit costs, and obviously it's founder and owned and operated, which makes it also tick one of our big boxes, right? In terms of the skin in the game, and these guys have been doing this for a while. So so it it's been on our radar, and it's, I think it's particularly interesting. But I think it leads to the question of like. What is the value of vertical integration? Like, so what? <laughs> so what? You can integrate where you want, forward, backwards, you know, sideways, who cares? And it comes in flavors, Carvana, Amazon. That's part of the part of the research. Part of the research that I've done over the years has been trying to understand yeah, not only when and how and if 
it makes sense to vertically integrate, but specifically for Wayfair, just, you know, what does that look like? How does it actually work? And ultimately, what advantages does this give Wayfair over over competitors? And that, that's kind of the context of most of our coverage on Wayfair. But I guess looking back, to be honest, yeah, clearly I didn't do it well enough as, as we're still, you know, we spent a lot of the past three months going through it again, even though I studied this three years ago. Well, well, that's it. And I, I, I want to ask you about the evolution of the questions you've been asking as, as you've been speaking to operators now for close to three and a half years on this business, trying to drill, in, trying to drill into the outcomes that, that, that are of consequence to stakeholders in this ecosystem through, that, that can be achieved through vertical integration. Let's, let's talk about that and the people you've spoken to and how, how, how your thinking has evolved and, and how really the kind of questions you've been asking have evolved. If I read my old stuff, I'd probably shiver. But <laughs> I think it's more... I think because vertical integration logically makes sense, right? If, if you know, when you listen to Naraj or Stephen or, you know, Amazon or whatever, they're like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to vertical integrate go backwards. I'm going to own the inventory. I'm going to make sure no one touches it throughout the supply chain. I'm going to go to Asia. I'm going to have these consolidation centers, group all the inventory, get better rates on shipping, you know, go get shipped to, to, to the US, make sure I'm going to own the middle mile, own the last mile, reduce the breakage rate, Gives a better exp- like that all makes sense, right? But but it's it's highly nuanced, right? Because even you know, I maybe took it too much at face value back then. That that it works, right? And if you if you read management's you know investor day and and all their stuff, that they'll say you know, a castle gate item is twenty percent cheaper. It's much faster. Um, it's a better experience. There's lower touches, lower breakage rate, you know. But so what, right? How does that actually compare for a customer? And how do you actually see that? So one thing, you know, we've been really getting into detail to understand exactly how each unit moves through the supply chain. That's part of the work that we've done over the last, you know, few months that led to this led, led to this research piece that we recently published and it was just getting you know pretty critical or rigorous in okay i have a sofa you know i'm a supplier i manufacture in vietnam if i were to ship it via my free pl network like kuna and i you know shanka all these other free pls have been doing this for longer than wafer have been alive if i ship it via my free pl network to my free PL warehouse in New York and then ship it around to the customer in the US via UPS or FedEx, what is actually the difference in the unit economics for the supplier and the retailer if it's shipped via that free PL network or via Castlegate? Because what Wayfair tells you is they say it's 20% cheaper and faster than a drop shipped Wayfair product, right? They don't tell you it's 20% cheaper or, or faster than a than the same unit by the same s- supplier shipped via Williams-Sonoma, you know? And so 
there's there's questions and what we're exploring now this is part of the second piece of research is okay you know how are suppliers changing the way they operate so we've heard from suppliers that you know, it's fairly expensive to put your put your stuff in castlegate so they change the wholesale price of the product <laughs> so they could be neutralizing some of the potential impacts of castlegate because they're hiking the price when they sell to wayfair off the bat so there's a lot of like nuances around how the supplier engages with what Castlegate versus how they engage with 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 their own free PL network and other retailers that actually when you get into detail on this whole vertical integration topic, it becomes well, in my opinion, at least in my head, it's a lot more questionable than I than I originally assumed it would be on the surface. And maybe that's my my bad assumptions but i think you know as you dig in it's it's a lot more complex than than it may seem just from reading the management and ir stuff well let's be specific about what's more complex understanding exactly how this gives you competitive advantage like a durable competitive advantage in the long run because the, the thing the thing that's interesting about furniture and actually part of the reason why i found it interesting so you know furniture is a weird category it's very it, it's it's quite emotional, right? Like, you know, people, you, you can't compare apples to apples. Like your chair, that chair behind you, you know, I could have a similar chair, but you, know, you would we you would the price could be five hundred bucks or fifty bucks different. You would not know, right? So, it's quite an interesting category for a retailer in terms of the flexibility and the price and the gross margins you're going to have because there's no clear apples to apples. You're not buying a pack of Duracell batteries, so. It's not strictly a commodity, but kind of is potentially becoming one, right? In some categories. But you've got more, more price and flexibility there. It's a very wide uh, selection, wide product range. It also requires some kind of merchandising capabilities, right? So, for example, if you go and shop on Amazon.com on, on furniture and Wayfair, you'll see, a, you know, Wayfair just present the products and the merchandise, the, the, the products much better. Um, so it's an interesting category for online, but the supply chain is all the same, mostly for all these players, like all of these companies, right? Amazon, Wayfair, William Sonoma, that, that person you bought, it's all the same shit bought in, bought in Vietnam from the same factories, largely, right? Just rebranded and re-private, you know, different private label. And it all, you know, it all goes the same journey. It's manufactured in Vietnam. It has to ship to a port. It has to go over to the ocean to, to New York. It has to then go stand in some warehouse. It could be Castlegate. It could be Free Bill. It then has to be picked up and shipped middle mile, then last mile. Right? It's all... That, that's the same. So, Wayfair's bet is that that... You know, and again, it's questionable, arguably unlikely that Wayfair can have an advantage in that first leg. So i.e. from Vietnam factory all the way to New York because Amazon have, have, have more volume and, and, and better rates and more scale and even the, even the free POs do, right? So the advantage is, is in the last mile and the middle mile, reducing the breakage rate. But that doesn't matter too much if, if the suppliers are changing their pricing or like there's there's nuance in how the suppliers are treating Castlegate versus how, they, how they're putting the same product. Again, it's the same so far, typically, just rebranded via William Sonoma. So there's a lot of, basically, the, the, the question is, 
Okay, this vertical integration is great. It makes complete sense. It's logical. You reduce the breakage rate. It's much better. How does that change Wayfair competitively? How does that give you a deep, deep competitive advantage that you're going to drive a better experience, drive better pricing, drive better delivery? I think it, it works on some of these points around you know, quicker delivery because you own it, but it's also more expensive. Reduces the returns. So yeah, that, that's part of the work that we're doing now is, and this leads into the second part of research that we're doing, which is around a survey of Wayfair suppliers and non-Wayfair suppliers about why they use Castlegate and don't use Castlegate. Because another fact that I didn't mention is that Castlegate's penetration hasn't moved in like four or five years. It's been twenty, roughly 18, 20% of volume. So suppliers are not using it as much as I expected three years ago. Now, partly that's because of COVID, maybe, and it's delayed that. And But there's something doesn't seem right with the offering, with the price of it, with the relative price for, if I'm a supplier, like the price of putting the product in, in Castlegate versus selling it to other retailers, there's something that doesn't seem too clear to me of the power of the offering and therefore the value of that vertical integration. It's not, it's not crystal clear. I think there's a chance to speak a little bit about the philosophy of the work here, right? Because there's what you're learning. There's, there's, let's talk about the way we formulate hypotheses and how, how field work, like the power of field work in this context. Because like, what, what the hell do you know about, you know, I, I, don't, I haven't seen you sell furniture online. No. Yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> but I, I think that's part of the it's part of the risk with these things that sound so logical and so intuitive, right? Is that actually when you get down to it, it's much more complex than that. So I think the part of the way we structured this, you know, stemmed from that original assumption, which is which is also stems from a lot of the work that we've done you know, around Amazon or Carvana, is like, okay, what what is the durable advantage of the of the of the vertically integrated model that they're running or trying to run and then what does that mean okay you have to get down you know as many derivatives of that of that kind of hypothesis or question and the first part of the work we've done was actually let's just make sure we understand every single step in the process of of a of a castle gate item and a dropship item that's what we've done you know that's the first piece of work second piece of work is okay well why isn't why isn't all of the items ship through Castlegate. Well, you know, obviously, there is a most suppliers don't want to put all their volume in Castlegate because it's kind of locked in there. But why isn't it grown? Why isn't penetration of Castlegate grown? Now we're in a pretty good spot to source suppliers to answer that question. So we're you know we're finding Wayfair suppliers some that do use Castlegate a lot, some that don't use them. To ask them what is how much do you put through Castlegate? How could that change? Why is it not more? What could make you change? What is the maximum? Why? How? And and we can get a, in our new survey format. We're going to get you know hopefully some some results that could help us understand that element of the of the equation. And then the final piece, which will kind of play into this, will be will be, will be kind of something we do maybe later in the quarter, which is back to this original question of okay, what is the if I'm a supplier, what are the unit economics of me shipping the same unit? Because again, it's the same product, right? This is the th weird thing about furniture. Is like I, 
Wayfair have their own brands, right? Perigold and all these different home brands, they call them. But really, you know, it's one supplier who's got a factory in Vietnam, who's manufacturing certain sofas, and they're effectively sending them, shipping them to the US, and then he's, he's sending part of it to Wayfair, part of it to William Sonoma, part of it to his own shop, maybe, part of it to, you know, Walmart, or whatever, right? All these, all these different retailers. So it's the same product marked up differently, merchandised differently, typically, right? So, so what, what's the the question is okay? What is the real advantage then in in Wayfair competitively with their model? Is is faster delivery enough itself? Because even just having a you know an anecdotal browse on their website, like it's not clear that it's not much cheaper than others for some products, you know. So maybe maybe the selection. And the and the merchandising and the and the and the and the good deliveries is and the fast delivery is good enough, but that isn't as powerful as maybe I I first assumed that the that the model would would bring, or, or doesn't seem as powerful as, for example, what Amazon done in general merchandise or what other models have tried to do in different categories. So. That's part of the longer term, you know, the next three, four months is trying to answer those questions. Mm-hmm.